My name's Darren. If you're a first-time guest, welcome. So glad you're here. My wife and I helped found this church with an amazing team, part of an incredible team that stands up here on Sundays to inspire and equip your heart. In the word of the Lord, we've been in a message series titled Margin, and this month we've been focusing on creating margin or space in our faith. I've been just giving specific attention on that. Today I'm going to stay in that flow, but I'm going to share a, a, a story with you. So this morning's going to be a little different. I'm going to, I'm going to by the grace of God, just, just bring something from my heart that I hope to, to inspire you and somehow just move us as a, as a community together into the things that the Lord had, has for us. But as we're looking at faith, week one, we look specifically about how we put our trust and identity um, in so many other things than Jesus, and how the Lord is, is, is really wanting to manifest the fullness of, of the faith of Jesus in our hearts by removing the stuff that doesn't belong. And, and you know, a lot of times religion would say, add this, add more Bible study, add more prayer, add more this or that, and God's like, no, don't add, take away. Start there first. Get rid of all the stuff that doesn't belong and really go there. And the faith that's there will now have room to move. You know, we were created, do you guys know this? We were created by the very design of who we are as human beings to live and exist in the presence of God, to be people of faith, to be supernatural people. It's, it's just the way we were created. And week two, we saw how worship is most authentically expressed through the giving of our lives to serve others. That's what it's all about. It's like worship isn't just singing songs. It's by taking what we're being inspired in these kind of mornings out there to other people and giving it away by serving them with the love of God. And so today, here's what I'm going to do. Just for the the few minutes that we have remaining, I'm going to talk about how through our faith in Christ on display through serving others actually postures us to realize the commission that Jesus gave to every single person in this room, those watching over live stream, those that will listen to this message at a future time, the commission that Jesus gave to all of us, which is to make disciples. Now, listen, right there, just by me saying that kind of religious terminology, we could tune out, because if you've been in church for any amount of time, that, that terminology has just been repeated over and over and over again, and, and the good majority of us, including myself, maybe don't even know what that exactly means. It's just kind of been just something that we talk about, something that we say. But here's my question for us this morning. In the rhythm of our daily lives, this is the question for us today. Is there margin where we're actually involved in the discipleship process of other people outside the four walls of this church? Just a question. And there's never any condemnation on questions that, that are posed here or that Jesus asks us directly. They're actually meant to kind of provoke us to think about these kind of things. In the rhythm of our daily lives, in what way do we have margin to be involved in the discipleship process of people outside of this room? Did you know this? I, I did some study this this week. And, and if every believer... Check this out. In the United States alone, discipled one person in their process to know Jesus this year, 
That would mean over 100 million people coming into an experience like we're able to have here this morning. 100 million people. Do you know that's one-third of the entire population of the United States? This is the intended purpose of the Lord. It's never to, to, to pay professionals to do something that we were all created by God to be a part of. Did you know that research proves that the global church already has, listen to this, 3,000 times the financial resources needed to reach the entire planet for Jesus? We don't need more money. We have 3,000 times the amount of resources needed to touch the entire planet with the good news of Jesus. Did you know, listen to this, we have 6,000 times the people resources already. And this is why when Jesus was talking about the harvest, saying it's plentiful, it's ready, like Adam was saying, people are hungry out there. They're not hungry for religion, they're not hungry for hypocrisy, but what they are hungry is for something authentic and real that has some juice on it. And we already have everything we need right now. It's in the house. It's in the house. We just need an awakening. I want to read these portions of verses to you, and then we're just going to pray, and we're going to see what Jesus has for us today. But in Isaiah chapter 61, it says this, verse 2. He has sent me to tell those that mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come, and with it, the day of God's anger against their enemies. To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, a festive praise instead of despair. And in their righteousness, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. And they will rebuild the ancient ruins, repairing cities destroyed long ago, and they will revive them though they have been deserted for many generations. Lord, would you grace this precious time this morning with something otherworldly, something bigger than me? Would you come into this room, in the words that I say and outside of the words that I say, and would you touch every heart? Would you do something special in this place today that we would all leave changed in Jesus' name? You see, discipleship, you know, oftentimes when that word is even mentioned, we get all freaked out because we think we've got to start a Bible study with somebody. And you may be very much called to that space, but discipleship at the end of the day is simply growing people. Did you know that rebuilding ancient ruins and repairing cities that have been destroyed is not about buildings. It's about reorienting people out of the culture of this world that is meant to destroy them and into a culture that is designed to bring them life. Well, they don't have to live in misery. They don't have to live in depression. They don't have to live under anxiety. And they don't have to live in broken, messed up relationships and pain. And you know, I was, I was looking at this, and you know, people grow through three things. I, I went into some detail in this with our small group leaders this morning. They grow in life through three things. And here they are, and they're in this order. Do you know, relationship is number one. 
You want to change somebody's life, get into relationship with them. Wendy just celebrated a year at her company. She's moving on into some other things. And in that one year, they had a big, huge celebration for her as she was leaving. People were crying. People were giving her hugs. People were writing cards. We can't believe that you're leaving. We're going to miss you so bad. We don't want you to go. Why was that? Because she gave of her life to them relationally. None of these people knew Jesus. She was just invested into that space, and she relationally connected with them. Secondly is experience. People need a real experience. And lastly is information. You know, when Jesus was was talking to his disciples, back in the day when he was gathering them unto himself, he he used an illustration of what was taking place in their time to to, to try to give them a picture to see what he was talking about as it related to these kind of things. And he was, he was illustrating the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire was very powerful. It was the most powerful, you know, nation, political nation on the planet with the most powerful, you know, uh, military. And they would go in and they would conquer these nations militarily. But in conquering the nation, they, they had not actually fully taken over those people. And, and, and gotten them to a place where, where they were assimilated into the, to the Roman Empire. And what they had to do is they had to send what they called apostles. The, the terminology there is simply a sent one into these conquered lands to reculturalize the people in the Roman Empire. And they would teach them how to dress like Rome, how to eat like Rome, how to speak Roman language, how to, how to you know, enjoy all the delicacies and foods of Rome. And over time, they would forget their old culture and fully assimilate into that new nation. Jesus, when he was talking to his disciples, he said, this is exactly the same assignment I have on you as sent ones. You're going to go into these nations, if you will, where people gather in your sphere of influence, and you're going to begin to culturalize them by first demonstrating the culture yourself. By, by being there and having that kind of culture in your heart, bring them into an experience in some form or fashion. And then when they begin to ask you questions, you have opportunities to share. You're going to give them information that's going to tear down lies and destroy mindsets that are opposed to the truth of God's word. Going back to Isaiah chapter 61, when he says in verse 2, he has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He was, he was right there in that verse trying to pull them into some sort of a relationship. Think about this. The majority of the people out there, they don't understand that the favor of God for them is at hand right now. Most people think God hates them, God's disappointed with them, God's disgusted with them, God's whatever. And, the, and that's not the case. Man, remember in, in, in Luke where, where the angel comes and, and tells them, hey, I give you great tidings of great joy that this Savior is coming to the world. And, and, and he's come for, for those with whom he, he's well pleased. What? I remember when I was a total mess, and I'm thinking, how, you know, if you were to say that to me, I'd be, how in the world could God be well pleased with me? It has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with his pleasure in his son who is passionate about us and relationship with us. We come into that pleasure through the son of God. 
And with it, he says, the day of God's anger against their enemies. Listen, this is not a battle against flesh and blood. The context here is talking about the enemies of God. You know, the, the spiritual realms that, 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 that are after the purposes of God in the earth. We're not battling against each other. And he says, to all who mourn in Israel, side context there, it's talking about the church, one new man, Jew and Gentile. He said this, he will give a crown of beauty. Here's experience all over the place. For ashes, he will give a joyous blessing. Instead of mourning, he will give festive praise instead of despair. Now, what's significant about Isaiah 61 is it's the first message that Jesus preaches when he comes out of the wilderness to be tempted by Satan himself, and he begins his ministry. I'm going to tell a little story about Josh and I on our trip to Orlando, but on the way up, he was, he was sharing with me how how he was talking to this one mentor one time about his big vision that he had in his heart for, to serve Jesus. And the guy said to him in, in total wisdom, he said, wow, Josh, that's an incredible vision. And, and, and man, as a father heart, I bless you in your journey. But he said, there's one thing missing from this, from this vision that you have. And he said, what? And he says, I don't see a wilderness in your story that you just talked to me about. See, a lot of people get discouraged by their wilderness journeys, but your wilderness journey is actually what qualifies you to be prepared to actually go and share good news. Coming out of brokenness, pain, disillusionment, trials, challenges, like Wendy said, count it all joy, because it's positioning you to be powerful. The very way you were afflicted, now you can be used as as a weapon in the hands of the Lord to go help other people that are under that same reality because you know where they're at. You know what they're going through. You know what they're experiencing. You have compassion for them because you've been there. And Jesus here kind of comes full circle in his life when he actually goes into his hometown of Nazareth. And he preaches out of Isaiah chapter 61. Now, now, now please hear me, and I, 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 I'm being bold about this. I really believe this is my heart. After I was pondering that reality, I felt like the Lord said to me, he said, my first message that I preached will be the last message that I preach through you. It's all coming full circle. What Jesus was talking about, what he was praying about, what he was demonstrating in his own life, it's actually going to be realized in an entire generation. Oh, man. I want to show you this photo of these street signs. This is relevant to, I I put this out on my social media. But on it, I said, I want to explain this photo. As I was telling you, Josh and I went up to Orlando. There's an event happening there on Saturday, I believe, February 23rd, if I'm getting my date correct. It's called The Send, and I had actually some guys coming down here connecting with me. And I'm just going to be honest, I, I actually wasn't planning on going. I had no plans to go. I've been to events. I'm tired of events just for the sake of events. Stadium gatherings, they don't impress me unless there's some movement and momentum and intentionality that comes out of those. 
But there was a breakfast that was happening in Orlando, and Josh wanted me to accompany him up to the breakfast. And to be honest, I went because I wanted to get some time with him. And then besides that, I really heard the Lord tell me to go, go to this breakfast. I mean, you know, sometimes even if we don't understand it, we need to be obedient to what God tells us to do. There's always blessing in obedience. Always blessing in obedience. And from the moment he got in the car, and I'm kind of, now that I'm down the road a little bit in the Lord, walking with him for 25 years, I know when these moments are happening, and they're very rare, I began this kind of journey in the Lord. I was like, oh my God, it's a setup. I texted Julie, I said, Jehovah Sneaky has done it again. That's all I said, pray. Jehovah Sneaky's, he's all over this, I don't know what's happening. Josh opens the door to my car, gets in, he goes, wow, that was weird. I was like, what? Well, the train ride up, man, I had this encounter with this guy. I'm like, tell me about it. That's how our journey started. And he starts explaining to me about this young man, 29 years old, that was raised in a Christian home that is completely disillusioned with God and with church. Completely. And he was telling Josh, I don't even know if I believe in Jesus. I know there's probably a God out there somewhere. It's maybe more like a force, but I don't know if it's Jesus or who it is. And I for sure don't believe in miracles or anything like this and da-da-da-da-da. Well, Josh was so humble, he didn't really tell me what, what happened, but something went down because the guy at some point in the encounter, in the conversation, changes his whole tune and asks him, what church do you go to? And he tells him, And he said, man, I've been telling my mom, I've been promised her, if I ever find a good church, I'm going to go to that church, and because of our talk tonight, I'm going to go check out your church. We were having a meeting the other day, even at Church United with all these pastors, and and, and there was this kind of this moment, this conversation, man, you know, about, hey, we need to kind of dial it up with, with... with, with our instruction, you know, to, to the people. And one wise gentleman said, we need to dial it up with our relationship to other people. We've had dogma and theology and messages for too long. We're going to get there. We need those. Those are important. Theology is important. But we need to engage culture. We need to get our head out of the sand thinking that everybody's just going to make their way into church because they're not going to do it. Especially a young generation. I asked Josh, I said, why is this going on? He said, man, there's so much information that's being, you know, fueled and, and funneled to this next generation that, that, that they're getting all kinds of knowledge and information that, they, that no generation in history has ever gotten, ever. And most of it is deconstructing anything that has to do with Jesus. There's conspiracy theories galore. Has anybody else seen conspiracy theories out there on the internet? And what that's doing, that's eroding trust. It's eroding trust in officials and and leaders and politicians and in church people. I watched a documentary last night that I recorded on Tammy Faye and, and, and what's his name, Baker. Oh, I wanted to throw up at the end. It was called Unfaithfully Yours. It was awful. I was like, my goodness, that was a demarcation point in the life of the church that, that was meant to just erode the whole thing where people could even believe and trust in leaders anymore. Ridiculous. So anyhow, we, we had this incredible conversation. 
We get into Orlando late. Josh forgot to tell me that the Airbnb that we were going to rent together and his family would stay in the next two nights and enjoy some time in Disney actually wasn't going to be happening. And we were going to crash at this 27-year-old's pad. And I'm just thinking, oh, God. Oh. I'm thinking, like, first of all, I don't do hairy legs anymore, man. I can't sleep in the same bed with another guy. I mean, that's not happening. I wanted to say something to him, and I, the Lord just said, bite your tongue, son, bite your tongue. I'm in this. So we pull up to the house, and actually it was in a really nice neighborhood. I was like, man, this 27-year-old is rolling large right now. I mean, this was a six-bedroom. It was, it was way nicer than our little 1,800-square-foot home built in the 1950s that could burn down any minute because of the, the, the electricity and the way that it's... I actually had some envy. This kid is, wow, it's truly going from glory to glory. I mean, my ceiling has definitely become his floor and then some. So I'm thinking of my master suite that I'm going to have in this house, and wow, it's going to be a nice night. But we walk in, and, and they're finishing up, of all things, a home fellowship. And I walked in, and I can't explain this, I knew exactly who the young man was that, we were, that owned the house, or that was renting the house, and that was, that was the leader of this little home fellowship. I could see him right when I walk in, and he was praying for this person, and tears were running down this person's face. It was a pure environment. It was a beautiful environment. It was filled with innocence. It was, it was, it was really special. And, and they were paying me and Josh no attention whatsoever. In fact, we were ringing the doorbell for like 10, 15 minutes, and no one came to answer because they were all caught up in what Jesus was doing in the home fellowship. We're out there, man. It's cold. It was like 40 degrees. We're like, knock, 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 knock. Like, let us in. We're dying outside. Finally, we just went ahead and opened the door, went in ourselves, and then I just sat there and I watched all of this going on as they were concluding their meeting. It was like 11.30. I would have been asleep for two hours back home already. Come on, somebody. So anyhow, we had this brief conversation because I wanted to get to know this kid. I was staying in his home. He opened up a bedroom to us, and I wanted to get to know him. So I just started asking him questions about what was going on there. And, and he was just so, so into Jesus. He just smiled. He was like, oh, it's so awesome. You know, I was like, I just, what, what's your kind of your vision? Where are you going? Oh, I, you know, it's just awesome. Just Jesus, you know. Like, Tell me what's happened. Oh, man, it's just God. God's coming, man. It's Jesus, God's coming. Amazing, powerful. Smile. He said, this is the biggest smile. You should see him. He's like, his teeth. I would just smile looking at his smile. I mean, I was just like, ah, <laughs> hey, woo, yeah, Jesus, you know. It's like kind of, hey, man, where's this thing heading? I don't really know, but Jesus, God, he's not. So we finally went to bed about midnight because I was unraveling. The wheels were coming off like a two-year-old kid. Come on, <laughs> I was just like, he gave me a banana before I went to bed. That was kind of him. I never had that offered. You want a banana? I'm like, sure, it's midnight. Why not? I need potassium about now. 
from that long ride up. I was cramping, you know, with the gas pedal, cramping up. So I wake up at like 5.30 the next morning, lay in bed, and Josh was not snoring. Come on, somebody. <clears throat> no, you weren't, man, actually. And I kind of laid in the, in the dark, and then the Lord was like, get up, I want, I want you to go for a walk. Well, what was cool is, and I went outside, and by the way, we got there at night, we got there at dark, we, 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 we you know, wake up the next day at dark, and, and there's this cool, like, gate that leads to this beautiful trail in Orlando. I mean, this thing, when, I don't even know for how many miles it, it went on, and being that kind of pioneer, kind of visionary, I was like, I got to get to the end of this thing. I mean, even if it's, I mean, I can't just walk a section of a trail. Like, I got to get to the end or around one corner. I, I kept saying, I'll just go around another corner and then another. And then next thing you know, I'm like an hour out, you know. I'm, I'm on a long walk, and I'm never even getting close to the end of this trail. And the Lord was like, listen, Darren, it's, it's not about conquering the trail. I brought you on this little walk to hear from me. So I was like, whew. So on the way back, which was a pretty long distance, <laughs> by this point, I just was like, Lord, what are, you, what are you wanting to say right now? True story, he speaks to me. And he says, the fullness of the cross in your life and the life of a generation is going to fulfill the fullness of my purposes in and through you in this hour. I want to say that again. The fullness of the work and the accomplishment of Christ on the cross in your life is going to fulfill the fullness of my purposes in you and in a generation in this hour. So I get back to the house, and it's light outside for the first time, and I'm really getting a glimpse of this massive mansion, and I realize that the house is exactly on the crossroads of these two streets. Fuller's Cross and Fuller's Oak. And I was thinking, Lord, this is crazy. You had this neighborhood planned before the foundations of the earth. Maybe just for this moment. The latter part of Isaiah 61.3, and I got I to somehow bring this to a close. It says, in their righteousness. Is he talking about our own righteousness? No, it's talking about the possession of what has taken hold of us through what Jesus did upon the cross. The righteousness that we carry, we can't boast in other than boasting in Him and what He's done. But nonetheless, we should be unashamed to say this thing resides in us in fullness and it's coming for you. The love of God. But look what he goes on to say. And they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for His glory. 
The cross is the entrance. The oak tree is where we're heading. Where we have the fullness of his purposes actually able to work in and through our lives. It's the wineskin that he's constructing. And it's a process. I want you to notice, go back to those signs. I, went, I, I saw this and I didn't even see it till yesterday when I was just kind of being, being before the Lord. Look at these signs for just a minute. Fuller's cross is a road. It's a straight line. It's right there to Jesus. But Fuller's oak is a loop. It's a process. And what you don't learn on the first go-around, guess what? You get to go around again. Josh and I were talking about brokenness in the lives of leaders, and, I'm, and it, was, it was kind of embarrassing because we're kind of these, like, kind of horse kind of guy, like strong horses, and I'm like, man, I wish I would have took the courtesy dive in round one and saved myself a lot of going around the mountain for God to get to some places in my heart in the fullness of the oak reality that he wanted to establish within me. You see, he is raising us up in the earth. Think about this. To provide stability, shade, and rest for other people. This isn't just about us. This is about what he can do in us for the sake of others. Listen to this. I'm wrapping up. I'm going to show you a video. Francis Chan, I tweaked it a little bit. This is his, it's mostly his quote, but I put a little grace flare on it. Look, it, it, so it's Darren and Francis. Friend Darren Chan, if I was going to be honest. But being a Christian is not admiring Christ's example. It's being empowered by his grace to actually follow it. Because he follows up last scripture in Isaiah 61.4. It says, because of the fullness of the cross, and the fullness of the oak reality. The, the river is lined by oak trees. They're all on the banks. It's the wineskin. It's people who are flexible. Shannon brought a money word today to our, to our, our, our worship team about wine, and, 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 and it's not just about the wine. It's mostly about the wineskin. Wine just on its own is just going to go everywhere. But a wineskin's what contains it, and he can't, can, you, God cannot be contained in people that are not flexible, that are not willing to flex and change. If you want to stay on the straight path on the cross thing and try to bring that into, uh, into the oak thing, no, it's not going to work. You've got to be flexible to get around that loop and find completion. Because verse 4 says, they will rebuild the ancient ruins, repairing cities long ago. And they will revive them, though they have been deserted for many generations. So I go to the breakfast with Josh for the send, and there was such a purity there. I can't even really, I don't even have words to describe, like, what that breakfast was like for me. And God touched my heart in such a deep way setting it all up by what I just shared with you, that I told him, if I would have had a side room to go into, I could have laid in there and wept all day. It was one of those kind of moments. But roll this video, if we could. In 
2011, a major revelatory shift took place. Into my living room walked these YWAM wild men, and they begin to prophesy there's coming a shift to the call, and it will not just be fasting and prayer, but the proclamation of the gospel. Signs and wonders and stadiums will be filled, and Billy Graham's mantle's coming on the nation. And then they said, the call is going to lead to the sin. And it struck me, maybe the call is a forerunner for a new Jesus who would come. It put me in shock and I knew it had a time period to look to the place and time when Billy Graham would die. At that moment, a massive shift's coming and it will not just be John the Baptist, it will be Jesus, the evangelist, is going to fill stadiums in America. From that moment on, a dream exploded in my spirit. That if I saw stadiums filled with young people fasting and praying, why wouldn't I believe that I would see stadiums filled with massive evangelism, signs and wonders and miracles and hundreds of thousands of people being saved in America. If I saw the first fulfillment, why couldn't I believe for the second fulfillment? And so what we see is that there are these moments in history where the power of God is present to do something extraordinary. There's an opportunity, there is an open door. And what happens is, is that if that generation will step through that open door by faith and take action, they can literally see history change. And I'm praying that a few people, man, even if it's one, that somebody's going to be like, look, I'm going to pay whatever price I have to pay to get a breakthrough in the glory of God, to get a breakthrough for a whole nation. So we are calling for 60,000 believers to gather from the nation and the nations of the earth to believe that the SEND would be a catalytic gathering to a new era of global missions and evangelism across America. Something will transfer and bring us into, I believe, worldwide transition into the greatest Jesus movement we have ever seen. So, as we close, something in the breakfast, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a hype guy, I'm just not that guy. Something in the breakfast, during the breakfast, shifted on the inside of me. And I literally could feel my body begin to tremble, and I began to think back. Because you, you, see, you may say, well, Darren, you're a pastor, and you're trying to send all, say all this stuff to us. I'm just, I'm a mom. Well, well listen, moms are going to have a shift, and they're going to start praying for their children. And saying, these children right here are going to be arrows in, 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 in my hand and the hands of their father. Maybe you're in the business world. There's going to be a shift happening in the lives of business leaders that are going to say, I'm out there in the marketplace for a purpose that is greater than me just making a bunch of money and buying bigger stuff. There's going to be a shift in, in literally every sphere of influence in the lives of believers for those that are hungry and then really want to be a wineskin in this hour. 
And the Holy Spirit began to ask me, where's the Darren of 1994? And I know that's going back a long time, but he asked me that question. And back then, if you were to ask anybody about my life, they would have said, man, that guy is the most radical evangelist that we've ever met. And 1994, I was not in vocational ministry, and I had no plans to be in vocational ministry. I was serving as an executive sales director for Campbell's Corporation. And back then, we wore beepers. Unless you had a ton of money and could buy a bag phone. You don't even know that you had one. A cell phone that was in a bag that cost like $4,000 and you had like a 40-foot antenna coming off the back of your car to try to get the signal. So in my job, I would get beeped and I would have to pull over and use what's called a pay phone. That's a phone that you put a quarter into and you get a dial tone and you can call somebody on it and I had this idea I'm like Lord what am I doing with this time I have margin here somewhere how can I use it for your glory and the Lord said listen I want you to make up some prayer magnets and get a a voicemail set up that people can call into from the number on the prayer magnet and I want you to listen to those messages at night to see if anybody has any needs So every time my beeper would buzz and I would have to use a a payphone, I would stick up one of my magnets on the payphone. And pretty soon, all of Birmingham's payphones were covered with my magnets. And I started to get one call, two calls, ten calls, fifty calls, a hundred calls. And I started calling these people back. And, and through relational love, I started to, to, to begin conversations and dialogue. And in some cases, I had all this food because I was working for Campbell's. And, and I would ask him, hey, do you have any needs? And some of them would say, man, we're in a really tough space. I said, let me bring you some food. And I'd come and bring the food to these people. And over time, as I would meet with individuals and connect, as I just kept being faithful to what God had called me to do, I began to connect with certain people in person. And man, the presence of God would show up. I'm telling you, people were getting healed and set free. And they were coming to know Jesus by the hundreds while I was in the business world. And the Lord said, where's the Darren of 1994? But he said, you've come full circle, Darren. Because you see that house and that young leader and Fuller's Cross Fuller's Oak it wasn't about that kid God was letting me see myself, my own journey and where I had come where we have come where we are right now as a church it's time for a shift we're not here to do church we're not here just to relish in what the cross has accomplished for us alone we're here to get oak-like strength in our marriages, in our hearts, in our jobs, in our careers, in all the things Jesus has for us. And we're to take that out in power to the world and see a shift happen in this region, our nation, and the nations of the earth. Would you stand with me? Come on, I know I've gone over and I'm, I apologize, but I just, just, just
just for a moment and we, we're going to release those that have to go get their kids but but could we just take a minute and i don't do this often but could we just take a minute and could we just kind of just kind of go there with jesus for just a minute and ask him what he's up to what is he doing and maybe many of you you never even heard about the sand you never even thought about going to the sand i'm going to encourage you you need to you need to get on that website right now 42,000 people are already signed up the event's completely paid for and it's going to hold 60,000 people in that stadium you need to get up there on saturday the 23rd and then you need to drive back for church on sunday the 24th but we're going to go and we're going to get something in our spirit because this is a moment right now and it's being held in our state and there's purity on it they don't have an agenda they've already raised the money come on lord we stand here at fuller's cross and we stand here at fuller's oak and we stand in this divine moment and we ask that god you would shake us to the core that god you would get us out of our safe comfortable place that maybe many of us have been in and that you'd break off fear that god you would do whatever you need to do to take us to the next level that god you would move us that we wouldn't have to go around that loop again that you would move us into the things that you have for us that we would expand our faith by getting rid of the junk and then taking risks, God. And this is a moment where you have for us to move into those realities. Come on, pray with me in this. Lord, would you bring something so profound to our state? God, would you, as, as you said through Chuck Pierce, would you put the attention of heaven on Florida right now? God, we don't know why that's the case, but would you do it? God, would you come and do something so profound in Florida that it would blow our minds and be like an ekbalo, ascending out of laborers all around the world in the marketplace, in business, in medicine, in education, in missions work, in church planning, that God, you would do such a profound work that it would literally be, that surpass the Jesus movements of old increase faith right now increase faith in our hearts let us see let us have our eyes open to this moment let us believe what you're up to in Jesus name listen we're gonna have some ministry teams come down listen maybe some of you just need to do some business with God maybe you need to take a moment and just kind of consecrate yourself before the Lord I believe there's some people in this room that don't know the Lord are just coming into a space where there's been a relational connection and maybe even an encounter but there needs to be some conversation if that's you come up to the front we'd love to talk to you anything and everything that's going on in your heart and life we're going to be here to pray for you as long as we need god bless you guys have an awesome rest of your week and we'll see you back here next sunday amen